All right, before we get into the message today, and I know there's some new faces that I don't know, and I'll introduce myself in just a minute, but I want to go to Revelations chapter 7, um, verse 15, and I'm just going to read this. There's such a reminder of beautiful promises that we have, uh, eternal promises that God has in store for us. Revelations uh, 7, verse 17 says this, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall no long, hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. And there is an eternal promise. There's a few in this passage just for you. We're going to personalize this just a minute. It says, therefore, they are before the throne. They're talking about a, a certain people group, the people uh, uh, that have been sealed with the Lord, that are, are entering into eternity, that's you and me. But we will be with the Lord day and night forever and ever. And it says, they shall hunger and thirst no more. How many of you know we live in a culture that is thirsty and hungry for something real? Thirsty and hungry for truth. Thirsty and hungry for something that will satisfy. And we have the one, we know the one, we know the true God that satisfies our spirits and our souls longing. And it says this, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. We have an eternal relationship with God. We have a God who promises not to leave us on this side of eternity or leave us on the other side of eternity. What do we have to look forward to? The same relationship with Jesus that we have here will be magnified in heaven. We have a beautiful promise in those things. And I just felt like I just wanted to remind us all why we follow Jesus in the first place. We follow Jesus because there is a beautiful and powerful and eternal promise of a relationship with him. And we need to hold on to that in these times and in this hour of world history and church history. Let me get my LaCroix here. Many of you don't know me. My name is Eric Lundberg. I am the lead pastor of Courageous Generation Church in Graham, Washington. Before that, I was uh, on staff here for about 10 years. I was the kids pastor. I was the associate pastor, I was the facility manager, and I was the next-gen pastor, not all at the same time. But they were beautiful years of ministry we had. My wife and I, the best years of our life were right here, but God has called us out in the uh, tradition. I'm stepping all over Mike's stuff, and he is not going to like that. And then he's got more stuff here. I don't know what to do. Hold on. There we go. I got it. Anyway, we stepped out in faith in the tradition of the apostles to go out to the Graham Spanaway area and to plant a church, to plant a new work. I wish I could say it was the easiest thing that we've ever done. I wish I could say it's been smooth sailing. In fact, it's been anything but. But like the apostles, we, we, we haven't been stoned yet. We haven't been shipwrecked yet. We haven't been mugged yet. We've, we, we've seen the, the hand of the Lord move uh, on us and provide buildings for us and provide places for us to gather, and mostly we have his presence. And when you have the presence of the Lord, truly, you need nothing else. So if you think about us, pray for us. We need partners, we need participants, uh, and we just uh, want to see the vision that God has placed in our hearts come to fruition. And, before, and I've got to introduce my beautiful wife, Naomi, right there. 
If you don't know her, if you know her, she's awesome. She's been uh, with me for 10 years, 11 years of ministry, and has really uh, just been an anchor to our family. Uh, before I get into this, I just I want to honor the leadership of this house, Pastor Brad, who has been my pastor for many years, uh, but now he has become a real colleague and a real brother to me when I call him and I ask him, Brad, I don't know what to do. And he says, well, I don't know what to do either. Here's the Bible. So, um, but anyway, he's been a great colleague to me and a friend uh, as we have uh, walked this new role that I've had. And it's, I just honor him. And I honor all the leaders of this house. Scott and Britta here. The Gingers are here. And by the way, can I give a shout out to uh, Carrie Ginger's Crocs? I don't know. Those are the best Crocs I've ever seen. I probably embarrassed her. Anyway, but we just, this, this house is a house that we love. I see so many people that I know and I've had relationship with over the years. But let's get into the Word of God. Uh, I don't have a slideshow. I, I do apologize. I'm going to be speaking out of the ESV version today. Uh, John chapter 5, uh, verse 2 through 16. We're going to break it down in a couple chunks, and I believe that the Holy Spirit has something for us today. And uh, like if you don't know me, I preach unapologetically. I preach the truth of God's word. Um, I, I, I don't shy away from the issues that are facing the church today. I, I, at Courageous Generation, one of the things we value is the truth. And I believe that we need to value the truth in this hour, and we can't water down the voice of the church. We need to be bold, we need to be strong, we need to be courageous in this hour, because how many of you know there is an evil agenda in our land? And the only one who's going to push that back is the church. And if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and the righteousness of our Father in heaven and, and the wisdom and the discernment of the Holy Spirit, we will be effective in this hour and we will shape the course of our nation, our communities, our neighborhoods, and our families. Amen. Good point, Pastor Eric. Way to go. I'm inspired. All right. John chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, I'll, I'm going to break this down in a couple of chunks. Now there, in, now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of individuals, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, we're going we're gonna to kind of break down this portion in just a minute, but I want to build a little framework around this, this, this section right here. Now, the Sheep Gate, those of you who know, uh, Nehemiah built it into the wall around Jerusalem when they returned from exile around 460 years prior to that. And the purpose, there was a bunch of different gates around the walls of the city, and the purpose of that gate was to let the sheep in which I thought was such an interesting gate because that gate is the one that is closest to the temple and that is the gate that was uh, sanctified, that was uh, consecrated to the Lord. That the, that the priest would consecrate the stinky sheep, the sheep that came in for the sacrifices at the temple. Now the word uh, Bethesda, going on from that, the word Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. And in Aramaic, some words have double meaning. So these pools, uh, if you look at the meaning, there's grace in these pools. There's mercy in these pools. And another interesting thing to note, in this text, if you look in your Bible, depending on what version you read, there is no verse 4. 
And I'm just going to make note of this uh, just so we can kind of have a little bit of context. The earliest manuscripts didn't include it, and then it was included in King James and ASV, and then some of them pulled it out, and some of them left it in. So I'm not really sure what kind of mess that is, but just for the sake of this talk, I'm going to read verse 4, which is in the King James Version. Okay, And it says this, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever disease they have. Okay, that's verse 4 in the King James Version. So what we know about this pool is there's some spiritual activity that is taking place. There's healing available. There's wholeness available. There, there, there's, there's things for people that are diseased and, and, and uh, paralyzed right there at that pool. And it's a place of spiritual activity. There's some kind of spiritual activity. And if you read verse 7, it really just kind of even... Uh, uh, solidifies that even more. Now, when I think about miracles, I was, I was saved, you know, 24 years ago in the midst of a youth revival. And when I think about miracles, I like, when I was young, I used to go out on the, and I still do it sometimes, but I'd go out on the streets and I'd love to play for people that were healed. Like if someone has a cast, like that's a target for me. Like that's, it's so much fun to pray and see them healed and, and, and pray and, and step out in faith. But I've learned over the years the greatest miracles aren't the physical miracles. The greatest miracle to me is a marriage being restored. Is relationships between father and son or mother and son, or you fill in the blanks being restored. Financial miracles. Miracles where, where, where people are, are desperate and they find hope and they find a path forward. Those are the greatest miracles, I think. And I think that Jesus knows that as well. We see Jesus... I mean, there's no greater miracle than someone who's been addicted to drugs for years, find healing, find wholeness, find purpose, find a plan in the healing power of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm one of those people. And here we are today. Now, we got to understand, like, there's, like, spiritualists. And in this, in this part of the world during that time, healing centers and healing pools and crystals and things, that, that was kind of popular, there was people would come from all over the world to be healed, especially if you go to Asia Minor, uh, which is north up in the Turkey area. A lot of healing pools, uh, a lot of healing centers that were occultic that would take place. So to be healed in a pool was common in that culture. Um, so there could be a place of spiritual confusion. Some people could be, be believing in Jesus. Other people could be believing in some occultic issue or some rock or stone or some other weird thing. But I think what Jesus sees is he sees this opportunity to teach us all a spiritual lesson by giving and offering healing to this man. I believe that physical healings are symbolic of Jesus' desires to heal something spiritual in our souls and in our spiritual lives. And if we look at the people that are sitting on the, uh, the, the right outside the pool of Bethesda, what does it say? There's blind, there's lame, there's paralyzed. And I had to ask myself this question. These are the best sermons to preach because it's like it hits you first and then you share it with anyone else and, and then if nobody gets anything, I'm like, okay, because I was challenged. But I want to take an assessment of all of our spiritual lives right now. Do we ever feel, do you ever feel, do I ever feel spiritually blind? 
where I look around at my life and I can't see the move of God. I can't see the work of God. Or I become so accustomed to living in darkness or living in confusion that I couldn't see it even if it was right in front of me. Lame. People are lame. Do we feel like we're never getting forward in our relationship with God? Do we feel like we've been standing stationary in the same place, never advancing the kingdom, never fulfilling our dreams, never doing the things that God has called us to do? Do we feel like we're stationary or paralyzed completely? We're completely disconnected. Look, I've been going to church my whole life. I can fake it better than anybody in here. Okay, I can wear any kind of mask, I can put on any kind of front, but I don't, I've found that that is paralyzing because I'm not helping myself, I'm not helping anybody else, I'm not honoring to the Lord, I'm just being there. And I believe that these are the issues that Jesus wants to address in this passage. Jesus sees this man who's been there for 38 years, and he asks him what seems to be a no-brainer, right? This is what he says to him, he says, do you want to be healed? Such a Jesus question, right? Like Jesus, like, he's just like, like, do you want to be healed? Like, no, I'm here for, I'm here to meet people. I'm here for coffee. No, of course he wants to be healed. But there's something deeper that Jesus wants to bring out. And I believe he wanted to bring it out of this man. And I believe he wants to bring it out of us. Here's the point. If I had a slideshow, this is what the slide would say. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will point out the obvious to allow us to recognize what is hidden. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will point out the obvious to allow us to recognize what is hidden. Like sometimes we think that the most elementary teachings that we're not, especially if you've been a believer for a long time. Anyone been a believer for over 20 years in here? If you've been a believer over 20 years, you've done it, you've been to the service, you've been to the conference, you've got your stamp, you've got your t-shirt, you've done all the things. But sometimes we need to go back to the elementary teachings of the Word of God, the elementary relationship with the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to pull up things that we've been carrying our whole lives, that we even never wanted to deal with, or like this man, we had another reason. Now, this man didn't answer Jesus directly. He gave Jesus an excuse. This is what it says. Let me read this here in verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Instead of saying, Jesus, Jesus didn't ask for that, right? Jesus said, hey, do you want to be healed? You've been sick for a long time. Do you want to be healed? Instead, what does he do? Gives him excuses. Gives him excuses to why he can't be healed. Like Jesus isn't the king of the kings and the lord of the lords. Like Jesus doesn't have the power. Like Jesus doesn't have the reputation. He gives Jesus an excuse. So many times in my life, Jesus has come to me. And I've given him an excuse for why I can't do that. Why I can't receive that. Why I can't, you know, activate that. Or, or, or whatever it is. I give him an excuse like he doesn't know. He had no one to put him into the pool, he said, and someone get else gets in before him. Each excuse placed the blame on someone else. And we see that in our culture today, right? It's like this victim mentality. Every ailment in my life is somebody else's fault. It's, 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 it's my wife's fault, or it's my husband's fault, or it's my kid's fault. 
<laughs> my parents' fault. They should have raised me better. You know, or, or my neighbor's fault, or the policeman who gave me a ticket. It's his fault when I was going 30 over the speed limit. I didn't, that's, by the way, I wasn't speeding. <clears throat> I had a ticket for something else. <laughs> but we do that. And here's the, here's the even kicker. We take it a little bit deeper, and it's like we find comfort in our pain. We find comfort in our excuses. I can't be the only one where we say, you know what? I kind of like being here because at least it's familiar. At least I understand the typography of the place that I'm at. At least I know how to function from this area. But God is calling us out. We all have reasons, right? We all have excuses for why we're not growing. We're not serving. We're not surrendering. We're not fulfilling our calling. We all have those. And this this victim mentality, I'm afraid, has seeped into the church. And today is the day we're going to move that mountain of excuses. And we are going to step forward into the destiny that God has called us in. I love this church, friends. This church is my heart and soul. I love the calling. I remember for years and years, I would wake up in the morning, I'd come to the office really early, and I would drive around and I would pray in different blocks, different city blocks. Every stop sign I've anointed with oil personally. At least twice, you know? Okay, all the businesses. Like, I believe in this city. But a church that is weighed down and sitting outside the pool of Bethesda, not moving and weighed down by the mountains of excuses, we're never gonna fulfill that. But God is calling us today. And I can say, I, I preach this message at my church. God is calling us today to move the mountains of excuses and to step into the unknown because he wants to bring healing and wholeness and purpose and power to the kingdom or, or to the places around us. I mean, we could think of whatever excuse we want. You know, I think, uh, and I'm just, I'm just going to address this. I think that a lot of times we will use the term church hurt as an excuse. When your pastor confronts the sin in your life, that's not church hurt. That's called a loving pastor. When he comes to you and says you need to align your life with God's word, that's not abuse. That's love. That's caring. That's shepherding. And I'm thankful that you guys have a pastor who will do that because he's done it to me a few times. And I'm so grateful that he did because I was able to realign myself with God's word and move forward with the plan that he has called me into. Jesus says in verse 8, he says this, get up, and then he says, take your bed, and then he says, walk. This is the Pastor Eric translation. Get up, stop being a victim. Stop being a victim. Stop being a victim. Take up your bed. Let go of your excuses. Church, it's time. For me, it's time. I can come up with any, I'm the best excuse comer-upper with that there ever was. I can come up with any excuse. I'm good at it. But it's time for me to take up my bed because there's a community up there that is dying. If you know anything about the Spanaway area, there's murders there often, weekly, even more. Let go of my excuses because when was my life my own anyways? And walk. Move forward in God's plan, purpose, and most importantly, your relationship with me. You know what? 
My, my spiritual father, Bill Wolfson, would say, you know, the place with the most potential is the cemetery. Because so many people die with so much potential inside of them that they never could surrender to God with all those things that held them back, and they never moved forward with the purpose that they were brought out here for in the first place. Let that not be us. God, let that not be me. If I had a slide, it'd say this. True and lasting healing and wholeness will only come when we surrender our excuses and self-reliance to Jesus. Excuses are self-reliance because we use those as, we almost build theology around our excuses. I, at least I've done it. And we just say, and we just, we rely on those excuses instead of on Jesus. Very little faith does it take to rely on an excuse, but a lot of faith to rely on Jesus and surrender to him. Let's move on here. How much time do I have? Oh my gosh, I might get done early. Huh, psych. <laughs> Don't plan on it. <clears throat> oh my God, is this being recorded? I'm going to get texts from Brad. He's like, dude, be a professional. Okay, he's what? Where is he going? Okay, how come you're not with him? No, I don't want to know. Okay, that's Levi Grazley. That's a good friend of mine, an awesome young man of God. So proud of him. Anyway, back to the text. Verse, I can't see, oh, verse 10. So let, let's just recap this real quick. These people were by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes by, asks the man to be healed. The man gives him excuses. Jesus challenges him to step out of those excuses. And what happens? He's healed. In other words, take ownership of what I want to do in your life. He didn't even have to go down into the pool. And he couldn't blame anybody. Like, he just stood up and he walked. He followed Jesus' instructions. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Just telling you, I would not have done well in that time period. <laughs> but he answered them, the, the, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? The man did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away, told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he had done these things on the Sabbath. A lot of confusion there. The religious leaders wanted to come and confuse this man who had just received this miracle that obviously he was not worthy of receiving. These religious leaders wanted to bring confusion June 24th this year many of you know is a historic day for our nation it is the reversal of a ungodly law or whatever you want to say legislation Roe v. Wade a huge victory for life a huge victory for morality a huge victory for righteousness and as we see those things, it's just true. It's just biblical. 
But what we saw in the aftermath of that happened was massive confusion come. Massive confusion, massive finger pointing, especially at the church. Now, I don't need to say this, but I will. If anyone you know or anyone in here has ever had an abortion, there is unbelievable grace for you in healing it, and there is, there is uh, wholeness for you, and, and all those things. The Bible says it, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the spiritual confusion that was released into our nation and around the world. Abortion is the leading cause of death in our nation. It's not, there, there's nothing that's even close. Around the world, there is sex-selective abortion. Abortion is a huge market. And behind all of that, there is a spiritual battle that is raging that the enemy does not want to lose. And they want to bring the church into confusion and silence our voices and keep us scared and saying, I don't want to offend anybody by saying it. They might misinterpret what I say. They might do this. Let me pull that mountain of excuses back on me so I don't have to be the one to address that unrighteousness. My wife and I have eight kids. Between our sixth and seventh, I didn't ask my wife if I could share this story, but I'm going to anyway. And after our sixth, which is Ransom, those of you who know our son, Ransom, he's like eight or nine. Good baseball player, too. I'm trying to remember. Okay, so it goes Felice, Ransom. Okay. <laughs> Between those two children, we had two miscarriages. And they were very painful times. It was a very hard season in our lives. But I'll never forget, and I like, I'm just going to like just be completely raw. So I hope that's okay. But I'll never forget the second uh, baby that was miscarried was stillborn in our bathroom. And my wife brought this child out about the size of a quarter in her hand. And I looked, and what I saw was human. What I saw was a human with a destiny, a human with a name, a human with a purpose, a human with, with a God in whose image that child was created in. And I realized right there, and like that was like one of those moments in your life that you can't like harness the emotions. There's so many of them. There was grief and pain and, and wonder at God and how beautiful this, this human being that he made was. And I say all that to know we can't let the world confuse us about what Jesus says is true. We can't let the world confuse us about what we know has happened in our lives, what has happened in our church, what happened in our community. The Roe v. Wade is one of many examples of the enemy trying to get us to turn against one another and point fingers so he doesn't have to do any work. We'll do it for ourselves. Okay? Why do I bring this up? Because culture will always be offended and disgusted at your victory, at your freedom. Bondage loves company <laughs> and wants to drag you back and me back into habitual victimhood. And I can speak from experience that this is true. Much like today's cultural leaders, this part of the story really shows the heart and mindset of religious and cultural leaders and influences of the day. They couldn't see past the law. They couldn't see past their agenda. They couldn't see past anything. Instead of celebrating this amazing healing, they said, you broke the law. Talking to a man that they'd known for 38 years that was standing walking with his mat. They didn't see what was right in front of them. All they saw was what offended them. 
here's what we've got to understand. Like we, righteousness offends evil. It just does. There, offense is bad when we purposefully do it. But when we are living, who was the most offensive person in history? Jesus Christ was offensive because he lived righteously. He stood for what was true. He didn't deviate from the truth one bit. I don't care what memes on Instagram and Facebook say. He was the true way, the truth, and the light. First thing they do is rebuke this man who had just been healed. They have a short dialogue trying to pinpoint this vigilante who healed him, apparently, and have the audacity to do it on the Sabbath. There will always be voices that try to push you back into your place of bondage. Always. And we look in our culture today and we see the fear-mongering. We see those, those excuses coming back comes through the media it comes through political world it comes through the music system it comes from everywhere and i don't know if you know this but there is a massive agenda that is funded to push atheism in our nation and across the world i didn't know if you knew that atheism basically says there is no god and with no god comes what no accountability comes no righteous comes no anything like that and the church we've got to like how do I say this without, we've got to quit making excuses and we have got to start standing for righteousness. We have to start living our lives in a way that stands and aligns with the word of God. When God says, stand up, take your mat and walk, let's do it. Let's not give Jesus any more excuses. Hopefully I said that right. There is an enemy, the devil, looking to keep us bound in whatever Jesus has set us free from. Why? To control us keep us small, ineffective. Okay, he's not, God, like the devil is not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of an effective church. You can have a million people in your church or you can have five. Those five people are effective. That's what the, that the enemy is afraid of. We want to be an effective church. He wants the fruit of our life to rot in one place, to fall off the tree and just rot at the roots. It is time to move the mountain of excuses from our lives. Mike, you can go ahead and come up here. That doesn't mean I'm done. That just, that's like the preacher way to lull people into a false sense of, oh my gosh, she's wrapping up. I'm going to make lunch. All right. Nope. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay. Sorry, my LaCroix right there. I'm like a sparkling water addict. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to turn there. I don't think I have it written down here. And hopefully right now we're all assessing and we're thinking, what excuses have I made up in my life? What excuses have I given God? I've given God plenty of excuses over my life. God called me to plant a church. I was very comfortable here, my friends. Very comfortable. It was nice. I had friends. I got to hang out with Mike Molnar, <laughs> with Drew and Corinne all the time. It was the best. But God said, nope, I'm going to send you up to a place where it's hard. 
there's rocky soil. You're going to be very discouraged. You're going to have to switch three or four different venues over the first year. We have to understand, and this is kind of like how I'm going to bring this thing to a close. Jesus, when we follow Jesus, our righteousness is going to offend the sin around us. Listen, Jesus is not going to fit in our box. We have got to, like, this is one thing that concerns me the most about the next generation, is they get their doctrine from memes off Facebook. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, I, it really concerns me that they get their, 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 their doctrine and their theology from, from the Simpsons or whatever kind of cartoons that are out there. That they get their, their doctrine from the, like, we have to return to the Word of God. And the Word of God is offensive. Jesus is not coming to bring an utopia. And I think that that's what the culture is after. The culture is after this promised utopia. The world is promising this false peace and this false justice and this false, uh, just this harmony. If we just follow their ways and we just do it their way and we just think their way and we just embrace the things that we embrace, that they embrace. But God is calling us not to make excuses because that that man had to stand up in front of the Jewish leaders he had to take his mat and he had to stand in front of them while they judged him, while they said their, their insults at him, while they uh, uh, chastised him. He had to stand there in front of them and take that. But then Jesus comes to him in just a minute. Let me go to Matthew 10, 34. This is what it says. This is Jesus now. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Wait a minute. That's not all that comforting. Basically, what he's, he's not saying that he's not the prince of peace. He's not contradicting himself, but he's saying, look, in this hour when we stand up for righteousness, there is going to be a hornet's nest in the spiritual world that is stirred up. And church, you better, for lack of better terms, gird your loins with truth. Our freedom will offend our culture. And we must rely on the discernment from the Holy Spirit to know where God is moving, where he is activating, and listen to his voice. If I had a slide, it would say this. When we finally surrender to the true healing and wholeness of Jesus, we will see either our freedom offend or reproduce. How many of you know when we're living, when we're living righteously, yeah, there's going to be offense, but there's going to be even more reproduction. There's going to be even more people are drawn. There is a culture out there that is dying for some truth. Over the past two years, the confusion our world has been thrusted into. All the friends that I went to high school with, you know who they call? They call me because I'm the one who knows the truth. And you could be that person that the people call. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for truth. Uh, people I went to high school with that have never, ever, 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 ever been to a church I don't even think they would know where one is if they wanted to go to one. But they knew that kid that they used to hang out with that got saved and radically touched by Jesus. And they call him 25 years later after they used to party and said, what is going on? And there is an opportunity 
to share the peace and the love of Jesus because all the world has to offer is confusion and chaos. I'm going to jump back up to just close this out in John verse 14. He says something very interesting. I think that this is uh, an encouragement to us all. It says this in verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him. After he'd, you know, after he'd been talking with the religious leaders, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. You took, up your cro- you took up your bed. You walked. You stood up against the religious leaders. You didn't back down. And look, you're well. Your body and your soul is now well. And he says this, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. In other words, he's saying, take care of your spirit. Take care of your soul. Be a good steward of this miracle. Not just the physical one, but the spiritual one as well. Don't go back to the pool of Bethesda and pull that mountain of excuses over your life again. Go out and be productive. Go out and be reproductive. Go out and touch this lost and dying world. Go out and be a pillar for righteousness because the people who want righteousness, they will come to you. That's how great the harvest is right now. That's how ripe it is right now. We're going to be like Holy Spirit magnets. There are people that are just waiting for us to be available to them. And I'm looking around this room, I see construction workers and bus drivers and school teachers and construction workers and and, and people who work in coffee shops and all that. You're designed to be just that Holy Spirit magnet. And magnet's not really a biblical word, but I couldn't think of anything else. But you know what I'm saying? When we take the excuses off, I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to give that person the time of day. The number one excuse that I give myself is I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't want to stop and talk to that person. I don't want to share with the forklift driver who I see every day. Have I missed that opportunity? It's time to move the mountain of excuses from our lives and be activated to destiny again. And that's what I want to leave this church with today. And like I said, I I, I served here for 10 years. This church was a big part of my life for a long time. It still is. I've sat in this tent. I've sat in that room. I used to come here at three in the morning and get on my face before God and pray, God, would you release the revival in abundant life that you have been wanting to since its inception? I've been at a church the first day it was ever born. I've, been, I, I, I've seen it. There's, there's a plan that has been stirring and brewing in this church for many years. And we've gotten close But I say God wants to take us further. There's a valley that needs Jesus. And there's people that only you can reach. And there's people only you can touch. But when we get, we've got to get, number one, we've got to get our spiritual lives in order. We've got to to be healed from blindness, lameness, and paralyzation. We've got to remove the excuses that we found ourselves so comfortable in. And then finally, we need to hear God more clearly, and we need to walk in spiritual discernment. God bless you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share the Word of God with you. I'm going to pray over you if you could stand up. I don't remember how services are closed. If you need prayer, 
I can come up and pray with you. My wife and I can pray with you. Pastor Mike's here and, and some other leaders as well. If you have never given your life to Jesus, if you've heard me talk about this Jesus who offers freedom and offers wholeness and offers healing, he also offers correction. He also offers conviction. He also offers discipline. Let's not get it twisted. Following Jesus is not easy. It's easier than it was back when the apostles were around because you always got martyred. Not so much of that happening now, but if you need to make that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to surrender your sin, to surrender your pain, to surrender those things, I would challenge you in your heart and your mind to cry out to the Lord. Let me pray and we'll kick it back to the worship team. Father God, I thank you for Abundant Life Community Church. I thank you that you have strategically placed this body, these people, this congregation, these leaders right here in this valley for such a time as this. And I pray, Lord, that starting with me, we would take a long look at our lives and we would say, what excuses have been holding me back? What excuses am I comfortable with? And we would move, allow you to help us to push the mountain of excuses off our lives. That we would truly be free. That we would truly be activated. That we would truly be a whole and righteous priesthood before God. That you would convict us, challenge us, correct us, show us your love, show us your beauty. In Jesus' name.